Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, please stay with me. It's going to be some time, motivation, inspiration, education, and you know we don't do it. Not with manipulation. That's the drill. No manipulation. No hidden agendas. We're not soliciting money. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not asking you to join anything. This show is simply about giving you accurate information. Information that will verify and identify the plan of God for your life. If you want to orient and adjust to the plan, that's up to you. But my job is to get it accurate, get it straight, get it right, and hopefully give it to you so that you can understand it. The Flatline, remember, is a show based on the premise that the outside pressure of adversity, if it overruns a command post of your soul, can be turned to the inside pressure of stress. And so we can establish a Flatline, a military analogy. Flatline is a military analogy We can establish a flat line, a main line of resistance made up of 10 unique problem-solving devices found in the Bible. If we learn them, if we use them, then even though adversity is inevitable, the stress can be optional. In other words, we can have a life where we don't have to worry. We can have a life where we don't have to be afraid. We can have a life where we don't have to live bitter. We don't have to be implacable towards those that we don't like. There is a different way of living. And this is simply called the Christian life. It's the most unique life in the world. And you cannot live it in the power of the flesh. It's not an energy of the flesh type life. It's a supernatural life. And the only way this life can be lived is in the power of God the Holy Spirit by means of the direction of the living Word of God. Remember, the Bible is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, it says in the book of Hebrews. And as the Holy Spirit takes the living Word of God, and when it's implanted in our soul, then it forms an invisible barrier, a protective wall that stops the outside sources of adversity before they become the inside sources of stress. That's why we say adversity is inevitable, stress is optional. If there's anything that should stress you out, it's the war that we are in today. I have just returned from Houston, Texas, where I've been speaking in a local church there, and uh, we did a four-hour special on clashes and conflicts. That special is available on DVD or MP3, if you wish. But it's four hours of systematic, sound, solid Bible teaching where I was filling in for my pastor, the man that I study under, while he was away on business. And occasionally when he travels, he will ask me to fill in for him, to help him. And it's the greatest honor of my life to be able to do that. And I'm always looking for what can I say What does the Lord want me to bring to these wonderful people? And this is the study we brought. We dealt with clashes and conflicts. 
And I want to quote a quote that my pastor made years ago. It says this, from the moment of birth, every person, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of status in life, is in the middle of a great war. It is a ceaseless war, and no man knows exactly where it began, and no man can end it. The resolution will never be attained during human history. The antagonist, I go on to quote now, are irreconcilable, the conflagration inescapable, and even though on his own man cannot bring the war to an end, he was created to resolve the conflict. That conflict is the angelic conflict. It has been going on since the beginning of time, where there was no beginning. Yes, man did have a beginning, but not God. God did not have a beginning. And we know that sometime in eternity past that Satan rebelled against the authority of God. And we know that he fell from heaven because of his arrogance. We know that he wants to vindicate himself. And so he uses man and the failure of man to vindicate his own, his own deeds. My pastor went on to say the battle is for the hearts and minds of the human race in an attempt to vindicate Satan and the fallen angels who joined his rebellion in heaven in eternity past, Isaiah 14. So Satan and his angels always seek to discredit, to distort, and to eliminate the dissemination of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So finally, here's what my pastor said. It is imperative that as believers in Jesus Christ, we understand the spiritual war that surrounds us. There can be no shrinking of responsibility, no hiding from the onslaught. Satan will destroy and eliminate if he can. And we, my friend, you and me, we are the prime targets. I made the statement this week that we are living behind enemy lines. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. So there are divine warnings in Scripture, and there is a three-paragraph field order of how we are to conduct ourselves while we are here. I want to give that to you today briefly. The divine warning is in 1 Peter 5.8. It says this, Peter wrote, Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. You know that if a lion attacks a, a herd of zebra, he will cut out the weak one. He will look for the isolated one. And the same for any group of animals that he may seek to feed off of. So this verse says we are to be sober. The word in the Greek New Testament, and you may say, why do you do that? Because the Bible was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And it is essential that we go to the Greek New Testament to understand the background for these words. When Peter wrote, be sober, he used a word called nepho, N-E-P-H-O. That word is a command. In the morphology of that verb, it's an imperative mood command. So Peter is not asking us to be sober. He is commanding us to be sober. 
This has nothing to do with alcoholic beverages. This word sober means to be calm and collected in spirit. Basically, what it means is to eliminate fear, to not let fear control your life. I remember my pastor one time teaching this years ago. The more things you surrender to fear, the more things you fear. The extent to which you surrender to fear, the greater is your capacity for fear. And to the extent to which you surrender to fear, to that extent, fear controls more and more of your life. That's true. And so what Peter is writing here is be sober. Don't be afraid in the face of the enemy. Remain calm and collected. The ancient Greeks had a study of fear. They called it phobologia. And phobologia, P-H-O-B-O-L-I-G-A, phobologia, was their study of the science of fear because they believed in combat that fear spawned in the body and that if you did not stop it, that it would result in a runaway of fear. God never wants us to be afraid. So the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So whatever you're facing, you have the advantage. You have the odds. You may be behind enemy lines, but you are not alone. The next word that Peter chose to use, be sober and be vigilant. And this is another command from the verbiage of the Greek New Testament. He's not asking you. He's telling you, be vigilant. And this word, gregoreo, gregoreo, that's the way the Greek word is pronounced, and we translated it vigilant. Vigilant is the Greek word, gregoreo. It means to pay strict attention, to be very cautious, to take heed. Now, what he's telling you is this, that your adversary, the devil, conducts reconnaissance. He can execute schemes that will disguise the truth and distract you from it. So one of the questions that you must ask yourself is, what are we to do about these schemes? These schemes that the devil has, what are we to do? Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give place to the devil. Another imperative mood in the Greek New Testament. That's not a request from the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians. That's a command. Do not give place to the devil. So you have to remember this. The mission of defeating demons and their influence, that belongs strictly to God. We have to avoid the arrogance that we have this power that we don't possess. The Bible does not authorize us to attack Satan forces, it authorizes us to stand and to be on the defense. So our orders are very clear. And I will give you three different passages here that I want you to take a look at. The first one is James 4, 7. And this is the mental attitude of obedience, of humility. Here's what it says. James 4, 7, submit therefore to God, 
and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is your first command. And the word submit is another imperative mood verb. You say, what's important about an imperative mood verb? Well, here it is. If you don't obey it, you've sinned. When you disobey the imperative mood of the Greek New Testament written by the apostle, you've sinned. The word submit is the imperative of the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso. H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. It means to be in subordination to or to put yourself in subjection to. And so what James is saying here is you are to submit yourself to God. That means that you are to obey his word. That means that, well, just let me give you the mechanics. If I told you to submit to God, what are the mechanics? I'll give you two verses that'll tell you. Submitting to God involves one, Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a command. So the first command, if you want to submit to God, is you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is accomplished by the use of problem-solving device number one, rebound. When you name any known sin, the quenching of the Holy Spirit, the grieving of the Holy Spirit is removed, and he fills you. When you sin, you quench him. You grieve him. You break fellowship with God. When you rebound, as per 1 John 1, 9, you're put back in fellowship, and the Holy Spirit is allowed to control your life. So when this verse says walk in the Spirit, what it means is keep moving every day, one foot at a time. Yes, you will fail. Yes, you will mess up. Yes, you are human. You're not perfect. When you fail, confess the sin, get up, and keep moving. The second mechanic to submitting yourself to God is found in 2 Timothy 2.15. Here it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study is a mandated verb again. You are not being asked to study. Paul wrote to Timothy and used this analogy. He told Timothy as he pastored in Ephesus that he was to study to show himself approved, a workman that would not be ashamed of his work and that he would be able to rightly divide the word of truth. That can apply to us as well. We are to grow. We know this. The Bible says grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the only way we can grow is to study. We don't grow by singing. We don't grow by listening to other people sing. We grow when we sit under the authority of a qualified pastor and we listen to him teach the word of God to us. As we hear it, we must apply it. As we apply it, we grow. And that's why each year we grow in grace. We grow in Christ. 
we're different this year than we were last year. If you're growing in the opposite direction, then it's plain, plain that you're in reversion, that you're going in reverse. You must grow to be a mature believer. Now, you want to ask yourself, if the Bible says I'm to study, then what is it that I should study? And here it is, Matthew eleven twenty eight, the words of Jesus Christ himself. Come unto me, all of you who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want to study something, study the life of Christ. Learn the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, The Bible is the mind of Christ. We are mandated in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 to represent Christ, that we are to take on his humility, that we are to have his mindset, which is, in essence, divine viewpoint. Not human viewpoint, divine viewpoint. So if you're going to do this, if you're going to be the man or the woman God intended for you to be, there is no shortcuts. You must sit under the ministry of a qualified pastor. That's why God gave the gift. That's why God put men in the place of called a local church and a pulpit. This is God's business. God did it. He gave the gift. He bestowed it upon these men. Their job is to recognize the gift and to devote their life to studying and teaching the Word of God, not directing some cruise ship not making sure that everybody gets a glad and on Sunday morning, no, but to spend his time studying and teaching. That's why he has deacons or whatever. Their job is to handle the affairs of the church, not the pastor's job. His job is study and teach. So Paul, um, excuse me, James says, we are to submit to God, and that's how we do it, Walk in the Spirit, study, learn about the life of Christ. And I think I told you that, uh, that my pastor has been teaching a study on the life of Christ, and he's 600 hours into it. It's free. You can get it anytime you want, either on DVD, <clears throat> either on DVD or an MP3 disc. If you want the information, let me know. So then the next word is resist. Another mandate from James. Resist. And that means to stand against. That means to oppose. And this is nothing more than using your own volition, your own free will, to respond positively to these mandates I just gave you. Resist his schemes. Resist his attempts to lure you out, to isolate you, and to fight him alone. You can't do that. That's why a local church is critical. That's why it's critical that you be shoulder to shoulder and shield to shield and even knee to knee with mature believers. <clears throat> so resist his schemes, the schemes to appeal to your lust and draw you out of fellowship with God. Here's the second field order. Colossians 1.23, continue in the faith 
grounded. Continue in the faith grounded and steadfast. This means you have to be consistent. That's what it means. Continue in the faith grounded. The word grounded, thamelio, thamelio, means to have a secure foundation. Isaiah 33, 6 says, He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge, because the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Ephesians 1.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In Matthew 16.8, the gates of hell cannot destroy our foundation. Your foundation is faith alone and Christ alone. Everything else is built on that foundation. Without your faith in Jesus Christ, you will never build a dwelling place for him. He wants to dwell in your heart. He wants to tabernacle in you. And uh, dwell in your heart is just a, a way of saying that Jesus Christ will come and live inside of you. When you receive him as your Savior, the Holy Spirit prepares a place for him. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this how he tabernacles in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery doctrine of the church, how the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament will now come and tabernacle in you. So the foundation must be secure. You can always believe what I'm about to tell you. Jesus Christ, our Lord, said, I will never leave you I will never forsake you. He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish. Neither shall any man ever pluck them out of my Father's hand. Paul said, even if we believe not, yet he will still abide faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Once you become a member of the body of Christ, for God to kick you out, he'd have to kick out his own son. He's not going to do that. You're adopted and made heir to all that Christ is heir to. When you violate the protocol plan of God, discipline comes down the pipe. In the stage of warning discipline, intense discipline, and dying discipline. But God never kicks you out of the family. There are many people in heaven today that went way too soon. They could have lived a lot longer life and then had a wonderful time on this earth. But even as believers in Jesus Christ, they violated the protocol plan of God. They got out of fellowship. They did not rebound. They did not recover. They did not grow in grace. And eventually, under dying discipline, they went home to be with the Lord. So remember, you have a secure foundation that will never be taken away from you. And you are to stand steadfast. That meant you're to be unmovable. You are to be firm. That was the second of the three-paragraph field orders. The first one, well, James 4, 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Second one, Colossians 1, 23, continue in the faith, grounded 
and steadfast. And thirdly, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 through 14. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. And let all that you do be done with love. Watch is a word that means don't be suckered. Pay attention. Stay alert. By the way, the verbiage is an imperative mood again. He's not asking you. He's telling you. The devil is going around like a roaring lion, and he has a scheme, a scheme to capture you, a scheme to cut you out. You must grow daily. You, if, if all you're doing is listening to this radio show once a week, you're not growing. You might be encouraged, but you're not growing. Again, I urge you, get under the authority of a qualified pastor. If you don't know where one is, write me, and I will tell you how you can order DVDs, MP3s, or get online and listen to men who know what they're teaching, men who follow the same type of teaching that I give you, men that will not hassle you for money, men that will not call you ever or contact you. You can access their teaching. You can sit in your kitchen table or at your desk with a cup of coffee, with a cold drink, open your Bible, take a notebook, and learn in the privacy of your home until God reveals to you where a local church is that you could be a part of. But I mean, frankly, I know a lot of people that don't have a local church in their area. This is exactly what they do. Watch, stand fast, imperative mood in the Greek. means to persevere, to be persistent. Be brave, imperative mood in the Greek. In other words, act like a man, don't chicken out. Be strong, and that means to be made strong by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the residence of the Word of God in your soul. And finally, let everything that you do be done with love. Love has two sides to it. Personal love for God is the motivational virtue that demands we love Him. Impersonal love for others is the functional virtue. It comes by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says if we say we love God and hate our brother, we're liars and the truth is not in us. The Bible says in 1 John we love God because he first loved us. And 1 John 5, 3 says if you love me, you will obey me and my mandates are not hard. So think about that. The very thing that should motivate you to be the man or the woman God intended you to be is your personal love for him. When you love him, you will exhibit that love by having impersonal love for others, just as God loved you. Think about these things. Pray over them. Contact me if you need to. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, 
please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.